And I thought, you know, the only way to connect and build deep friendships, long-lasting relationships, was to be completely vulnerable. And so I chose to do that. You know, I didn't stop drinking until our ninth year of marriage. During that time, I was very active in my church, but I was still an active drunk. A term I will use is I was a high-functioning alcoholic. Would you be interested in considering this position that's just opened up? And I, I pretty much said, I, I think you have the wrong telephone number. You know, <laughs> like, have you, have you read or heard my testimony of, mm. of who I am? All right, well, welcome back to Creekside Conversations. My name is Tim Anderson. I'm Associate Pastor of Youth and Worship at Creekside Covenant Church. And today, my co-host and I, John Coster, we're joined by a good friend of his, J.P. Buran. So, J.P., welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me here. Yeah, so we're actually, we're not in the U.S. right now. We are international. Interna- it's a, it's, we're in an international podcast now. We, yeah, we not only took this, like, on the road, we took it... Well, not overseas, but in Canada. Overland. Overland. We're yeah. over over the border, <laughs> yeah. across the border. Now here's how I knew I was in Canada. Can I tell you how I knew? No. I saw a bus that was not in service. And the first thing that it set up on the reader board was sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> not in service. Now I'm from the US, so I say sorry. But I saw I saw it was a Canadian bus, so I knew that it was saying sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah. And if you're in New York, it would say out of service. Call somebody who cares. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we practiced that on the way here. We so. did. Yeah. <laughs> so we are at Regent College in Vancouver, BC. And for those who don't know it, it's a wonderful school where JP and I met. We were fellow students here. Three and a half years ago is when we started, and we graduated. I guess the convocation was June of 2022. Mm. And the reason why we're here is a couplefold. Number one, it's part of the story, which we'll get into in a, in a moment. The program that we were in was called MALTS, Master of Arts in Leadership, Theology, and Society. It's a holistic, multidisciplinary approach to integrating theology into everyday lives. It's sort of a practical application with leadership and and scripture, and how do we interact with the world around us? Yeah, I think, you know, that's a good way of saying it. Part of the program was was individuals who had exceptional leadership skills, exceptional grounding in their theological beliefs, and, and schooling from from past on both those sides. And then the, the society piece is how do we put those two together? And what Regent offered was a way to take a look at all three of those aspects, particularly the leadership and the theological side, and implementing that in today's very, very complex society. So I want to set the town, you know, um, in the very, the very first day of class in 2019, there were, there were about 19 of us, I think, from all different parts of the world, New Zealand, Singapore, Nigeria, United States, and even Canada. And... One of the questions that was posed is, in what story do you find yourself? And the question is, who are you, where are you, and why are you? And these are big questions of life, questions of identity, of purpose, of meaning. And those are the kinds of things that we, we would be studying about. And, and so 
the professors leading the program said, well, you know, before each class, why don't we give a few minutes for each person to give, you know, an elevator pitch about who they are. And most of us who have been around in business or in school, we, we kind of know what that's like. The person stands up and talks about their great accomplishments, and <clears throat> there's always a lot of pretense. And JP stood up first, and a youngish, middle-aged guy who's put together, pretty fit, well-dressed, well-spoken, and he stands up, and I'm thinking, oh, okay, here we go. He's going to set the benchmark. And he stands up. And he starts to talk about his life. And it was stunning. His level of transparency, his lack of pretense. He talked about his inner broken life, his family story. And the thing that struck me was his honesty, his humility. And what it did was it set the tone for the rest of the class. And every other person who stood up talked about their history, their inner brokenness, the struggles in life. And instead of, look how cool I am, I'm smart too, it was this, we're all here as students, we're all here as broken people who all need Jesus to change our lives, and so let's do this together. And I would have to say, and I don't think I'm alone in this, that that set the tone that really was bonding for us as a class, a level of affection, a lack of competitiveness. In fact, if anything, it was, how can we help each other out? Because we're all just struggling in different ways with different strengths and weaknesses. So when I was thinking about bringing JP in and asking him to do this, I knew the story would be a little bit longer than maybe some, but I wanted to set that context. Yeah. You know, as I reflect back, thinking about that, I was in a room surrounded by not only very intelligent people coming to Regent College, being accepted into this unique program, successful individuals on many, many realms. We had doctors, we had literally a rocket scientist, and then we had pastors and teachers, but all people who were already very well along in their careers, myself coming from a financial background, we all were there for one purpose, was to learn more about our relationship with ourselves and with our Savior, Jesus Christ. And when we were asked to share, we knew it was coming. So I, I kind of spent a bit of time reflecting on it and talking to to a dear friend about what I can say. And I, I could talk about the successes in my life that are, are driven by today's moderate view on what is successful. And, you know, a lot of times that's, you know, two cars in the garage, money in the bank, the type of holidays you do, the achievements you made. And, and you do that in, in a room like this, it's not uncommon that someone will speak that way. And then I thought about it and prayed about it. And, you know, I'm this program at Regent was a two-and-a-half-year journey where we would spend two weeks together and then go off back to our places around the world, but be, in, be together through learning by the time that we're apart and, and trying to bond with each other. And it's hard to bond when you don't have a community. And we, we kind of witnessed that now, thinking back through the pandemic, that, you know, without Without one-on-one, it's hard to build community. And so I was faced with the choice. Do I, do I have a posture of, of talking about what society thinks is successful? Or do I talk about what I feel Jesus thinks is successful for me in my journey? And I thought, you know, the only way to connect and build deep friendships, long-lasting relationships, was to be completely vulnerable. And so I chose to do that. And and in it, when I was asked to share, I, I didn't start with that I was in finance and, 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 and recently retired and did some nonprofit work. What I did was I shared about my brokenness, um, just who I am. So, 
You know, I'm, I'm an individual that's married for now 26 years with two lovely daughters, but it's not always great. The marriage is, is it's a very good marriage, very happy with, with my wife, Susan, but there are rough times. And I spoke about that. I spoke about the fact that I come from a divorced home. I came from a, a very turbulent home lifestyle. And then talking about myself where I'm one that was with alcohol and addiction. And, and I spoke openly about that where at that time, I guess it would be 14 or 15 years of, of continuous sobriety. And I spoke about how Jesus played a huge role in my life and, and making me clean and sober. And I thought it was important to share those aspects of my life, of not just the white picket fence and what's, you know, everything's great on the outside. I want to invite my classmates in the true of like sitting in my living room on a Saturday afternoon and seeing what it's like to be in our host household. And, and I think by, by allowing myself to be vulnerable with people who shared the same faith as myself, allowed us to go deeper in a, in a friendship, allowed us to go deeper in our studies and talking about really what was important to us. It wasn't about the successes we had in our lives that outside society looks at as successful. It was about how Jesus sees us and what brings us closer to him in our relationship. And allowing myself to be vulnerable in that way, I remember being scared in, in doing it. And and then at the end, I remember receiving a lot of hugs from individuals, a lot of tears. And then I remember every single classmate after I spoke spoke about their journey in their lives. We had an individual share about the loss of a child. You know, and these were these were things that you don't share. Like, hey, how, let's have a cup of coffee, coffee, and you start saying, "Hey, I'm an alcoholic. How are you?" <laughs> like, it's not really the normal type of conversation, but but allowing to do that brought us to a level of of a really intimate friendship, almost right at the bat. I'm just curious, why is it? Do you think that that kind of vulnerability opens people up in a unique way? Well. You know, as as I was introduced, I was introduced to somebody who of a good posture, maybe speaks well and whatnot. I definitely don't think that, but it it take it tears down a wall when you start sharing about your vulnerability. It shows that you're real and 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 that you have the same struggles as as anybody else at a certain level. And I I think when once you do that, people will will share not their deepest darkest secrets with them, but they will share in a way that's a little bit more Christ like. And when I what I mean by that, it's you know going to church on Sundays and being around a Christian world that I have been my whole life. It's the, a lot of how are you, and the answer is I'm fine. Things are great. Yeah. And it takes a lot of courage to say I'm not okay. And yeah. that's okay at the same time. And once one individual does that, it breaks that wall down and another individual is like, okay, I feel safe with this in person and I can actually share in a way that is not the standard way of sharing. So I think that part part and partial of, of it breaks down the wall. Yeah, that's good. So you mentioned your background, you know, you've been around the church your whole, whole life. life. Whole life. Yeah. So kind of tell us about your family growing up and about your parents and... Yeah, so... My mother is an indigenous Venezuelan woman, and at age five, she was taken from her home, from a denomination, to be raised in a certain way, stripped of her culture and stripped from her parents. 
And even to this day, she's still alive. She has a very hard time talking to us about this. When we were younger, she used to tell us, me and my sister, that her parents died in an in, in, in crash. And we found out that that wasn't true. And, she, and we just peeled back the onion and we got the truth from her. Hmm. And she had a deep love for God, a deep, deep love for God. And then, uh, and then I have a father who is from the Czech Republic and a very, very intelligent man, very successful in many ways, except not successful in relationship, not with me and, and my sister. And, and there's really five kids in this story through multiple marriages, but me and my sister from the same mom and dad. And uh, so I grew up here in Vancouver. I'm not far from Regent College, actually. And I grew up speaking French, hence the French name. I didn't actually speak English until I was in grade three. And we, because of that, I was subject to a lot of, I wouldn't say bullying, but teasing. My name is Jean-Paul, and I got a lot of Jean-Paul. My mom is visibly different tone of skin than I am. And we often were like, oh, is that the nanny? And not speaking English made it a little difficult in Western Canada. And I, didn't, and I went to a French immersion school. That was the reason why. So growing up, we would go to church every every Sunday with my mom and without my dad, and and my dad would would drink heavily, and and he would have multiple girlfriends, and I'd go to the park and I'd be like talking to a friend, and I remember vividly his name's Peter, and uh, we go to the park and he's like, "What are you up to?" Oh, my dad had too many drink and beat me. And he's off to his girlfriend's, what's your dad doing? <laughs> like, just like total, like normal conversation for me, right? That's what normal was. And, and then we're going to church later today, kind of thing. We just came back from church, one of those. And so it was a pretty tough and toxic life for a young person, subject to things that I shouldn't have seen or be, be you know, no child should ever be hit or anything. Did you accept that as normal? I thought that was just normal. That's what every kid goes through until I was probably like 14. And... Around that age is when my parents got divorced, when I started seeing it wasn't normal. My dad had multiple affairs and, and uh, called it his girlfriends, right? And so he, one time he just moved out and he didn't come back. And so my mom was waiting and we had a, he had another child, my brother, Alan, which we have a, rela- I have a good relationship with him. And, uh, and, and so my mom taught at a school and it was a religious school. And, uh, and they found out that she was getting divorced and, uh, and she waited patiently and then then she met a wonderful man who she's still married to now and got remarried. And she, when they found out that they, she got remarried, they fired her on the spot mm. and stripped her pension. And that was it. That was the end of it. Mm. And, and, and that was the end of her faith completely. Like it just stopped. No more church, no more talking about God in our home. It just ended mm. for mm. her. But not for me. I still continued to go to church. I, I did... Uh, like the Friday youth groups was well connected with that. The way my mom looked at it was somebody on, on earth took something away from her, but it wasn't yeah. the relationship with Jesus Christ. And so in that journey, I still, I kind of like was upset with the denomination she was at and at the person that, 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 that did this to our family, if you will, to my mom. Sure. But I wasn't as upset with Jesus. And so I continued my faith journey and how, my, how would you characterize your relationship with Jesus at that point? Well, at that point, I think I was like 14, so I didn't really know what a mm. relationship with Jesus was, but I knew that it wasn't mm. being dictated by somebody on earth. It wasn't a priest or a rabbi or whatever you want to use term-wise. Mm. It, was, it was, my relationship with Jesus is not one that is being judged by somebody that walks on the earth as, as I do. It's, mm. it, my relationship with Jesus is, is one with 
a personal connection with, with our Heavenly Father. So because you recognized your relationship with Jesus was unique to you and Jesus, it was something that nobody else could control or possess, you were able to see the difference between what a pastor or a priest or whoever did in your family. You're able to kind of compartmentalize that from your relationship with Jesus. Yeah, I was able to see they were a facilitator in my eyes, but yeah. they're not telling me that I'm going to heaven or not. It's not. Yeah. It's not. It's not the guy that I talked to on Sunday morning. You know, he wasn't. Even, he wasn't in charge. No, he was not in charge. You knew that that Jesus ultimately used the Lord, right? Yes. And there's no person on earth who can take that position in your life. As a 14 year old, yes, as best as a 14 year old could understand it at the time. It's now, pretty cool. A bit older, I see it a bit differently, but yeah. yes. And as I move forward. You know, there were many other times in my life where where something on earth was taken away, and I and I turned for help. Like to skip forward when I was struggling with alcohol, which you know I'll never say I'm not struggling with alcohol, but I have checks and balances in place now. And I remember going to my pastor, and no fault of his own, I said, you know, I'm really having a hard time drinking. I I I, I just feel like my life and collapsing. And he was like, well, pray more. Come to church and you should be okay. <laughs> I was I was, well. I've been doing that for a long time. I think I need to try some other something. And, and like I said, no fault to to the to this individual. So was your pastor inviting you to church at like one a.m. on a Friday night? And is that what he was doing? Because I feel like that's you know <laughs> he was not doing that. No, he no. was not doing that. He wasn't going to show up that Friday night. No, no that's no, right. He was yeah. not. You know, but that's another time that was a vivid in my mind where it's an individual that you know good connection with the Lord, if you will, saying, you know, this is what the things you need to do. I, I, as I journeyed and got a little older and more mature and mature my faith, I, I realized, you know, for me to be a good son to our Heavenly Father, those actions fall on me. Mm-hmm. And so as I got a, a little bit older in my journey, I, I was able to, to live in Europe for a, a period of time and made a decision to come back. I was in school there and I came back and it was a hard decision. And when I did come back, I knew really why I came back. I knew God put it on my heart to come back, and by no coincidence, I met my wife about a year after I came back to Canada, which was really, you know, amazing. I had this dream that I would marry somebody like her, and I, and I met her. And eleven months after the day we were married, first date. Eleven months after our first date, we were married. So you met the girl of your dreams. Yeah. Oh wow. And literally, then, literally. And, yeah. and, and then eleven months later, you were married. Yeah. And part <laughs> of my awesome. faith journey is, you know, she comes from a very, very conservative background, and and mine wasn't. I st- and I'm still going to church, but I'm not as committed a, as I thought I should be. Mm. And and I don't think I'll ever feel that I'm committed as I should be. I mean, that's part of coming to region of of learning more about my faith mm-hmm. and, and getting a deeper relationship with God. Um. But how, how old were you when you got married? We met when I was 24, and we married at 25. And I'm not going to disclose her age. Or, <laughs> or, <laughs> yeah, I'm not asking you how old you are today. No, 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 no. But uh, so when, when we met, we did everything right. We were going to church together. We joined Bible study. We were not intimate. And uh, Pr- prior to marriage. Prior to marriage, yeah, right. yeah. And so those are really important values in our lives. And uh, we we. We did all that. We did premarital counseling with our church that we went to at the time. And so we just did it quickly. And that was really damaging for us. Our first year of marriage was really bad. We fought all the time. 
I come from a divorced family, and my style of arguing is screaming and yelling. That's the Latin side of me. Mm. And, and Susan's side of the very, very conservative fifth-generation Canadian is clam up and say nothing. And so it was really complex in our house. And so what we knew that was important to us is our relationship with Jesus. And we said, you know, we're drifting apart, and the only thing that's going to bring us together is by spending more time with the Lord and looking for Christian counseling. And that literally saved our marriage. And, um, and you were 25 at the time. 25, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's That takes some maturity to recognize, hey, this is falling apart, and mm. let's find some direction together. How, how would you describe your alcoholic addiction back then? Oh, it was full-blown. Yeah. Like, my, I would be drinking, you know, at that time, not every day, but binge drinking. Mm. Uh, I had my career in finance, and I thought from the relationship with my earthly father, was who was successful, you drink and you wine and dine, if you will. Mm. And so I thought that's what you did in the finance world at the same time. I was mimicking what I thought was normal. You know, I started this story of what's normal is dad mm. has girlfriends and beats you and drinks. That's normal. Well, right. to be a successful businessman, you go out drinking and, mm. and wine and dine. I thought that was normal. Things were going well. So you defined what you thought was successful still by that pattern that you had seen with your dad, especially within finance, thinking if I'm going to be successful, I need to get out there. I need to be hanging with these guys and whining and dining, that kind of thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that's what I thought. That's what I thought you did as a successful business person. Even as a Christian. So you're. Oh, even you're, as a Christian. You're walk. You know, you and your wife are seeking counseling, and but you're still thinking, "Hey, this is what I need to do to get ahead." Yeah. You know, I didn't stop drinking until our ninth year of marriage. So I kept the drinking going, and I during that time I sat on the board of my church. I was very active in my church, but I was still an active drunk. So yeah. a term I will use is I was a high functioning alcoholic. It doesn't that really still means I was just a normal normal drunk, if you will. Yeah. Sure. And so in that journey, you know, part of part of my journey and my story is we did seek counseling because we knew that we did not want to get divorced. We knew that we held marriage as such a sacred covenant. And coming from a broken family for myself, I knew what not to do, except for the drinking side. And on the on Susan's side, she knew what to do to keep a marriage going because of her parents who are now, I think, 50, 55 years in marriage. Mm, that's cool. Date. And so we just we just said, you know, we just need to get counseling. So we did. And and it, and then like literally like second session things changed and we were like the counselor just gave us the tools to listen to each other and so we started doing that and and our marriage got a lot better and then if i fast forward in that my drinking didn't like my drinking just spiraled but i you know we were able to live and own a home and and move forward that way and i'll pause on that in a second i'll get into a story of where i am with in my faith and Susan as well is is a, the importance of the sanctity of human life, and we we were pregnant in year seven, and we had a we had a master plan like we'll wait seven years because that's the script you know, number the number seven being very <laughs> biblical. We want a house, career going, and then we'll have kids. And so all of a sudden, the seventh year, Susan was pregnant, and it was super super exciting and scary at the same time. And uh, we found out it was something called an atopic pregnancy, which mm-hmm. a lot of people in, the, in your listeners would know what that means. And and so we were rushed to the hospital, and, and, and our doctor told us, you know, if you don't abort this child, and the word she used was abort, 
this child, you're going to lose a child. And if you don't do it, Susan, you will die. And I literally looked at the doctor in the eye and said, that's not happening. We don't believe in abortion, full stop. The doctor, she turned and basically did not acknowledge me from that point forward and looked right at Susan and said, you know you will die. And the, 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 Susan has her story on it as well. So my recollection of it is asking the doctor saying, is there a chance this baby can survive? And the doctor said, yes, but I've never seen it happen. And there's no chance you're, you're going to survive, Susan. And at that moment, we said, well, we're not, we don't, we're, we're going to roll the dice, if you will, and see what happens. And so we said, we're not going to do the operation. And the doctor left the room going something like, you guys are idiots, and just left. And we were in tears and called Mm. our pastor. Our pastor came rushing the hospital and we just, we just sat in prayer. And, Mm. and in that moment, a few hours later, the doctor came back and said, we did more tests and... I'm sorry to say your baby has passed on, and now we'll continue with the operation. Mm. And so we were like, wow, thanks, thank, thank you, God. Like, you know, we really, like, we went on our knees weeping and putting our faith in you, and then, and, and we're saddened with, with uh, the loss of our child. Susan and I say it's a boy, and we, we have, we have a, a special way of, of acknowledging that every mm. day. And, uh, and then a few months later, the operation didn't go well, and Susan rushed back to the hospital, and we had the same doctor. And the doctor does another operation on Susan, and then the same doctor turns to us and says, because of your decision, and basically saying because of your faith is the way I read it, but because of your decision, you probably will never have kids mm-hmm. ever. Mm-hmm. And we were just crushed. And at mm-hmm. that moment, I was, I was really upset with God. And, uh, and, and, but the difference is, it wasn't somebody on earth messing with my relationship with the Lord. It was just me and the Lord struggling through something. Mm, mm. And it took time for me to lament it. It took time for me to to really get at peace of why that happened. And I know why now, but I don't know why then. Mm. And uh, and so that 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 went through and and struggled with with the Lord and my relationship with him and and then I go I go a few more years fast forward to year number 9 and we were surprised to find out that we were going to have a child. And we we were like, this is, this is impossible. We're told we're not going to, like, chances are slim to none, more to the none side. And so we were just praising the Lord and saying, you know, thank you, thanking the Lord. And, and, and just, again, I was like, you know, typical Canadian, I'm sorry for being mad at you, God. <laughs> Please forgive me. And we spent, you know, we found out we had this daughter coming and, well, mm. found it was a daughter. That's exciting. And at that time, my alcoholism went through the roof, and mm-hmm. I was so scared because I was like, "I'm going to turn into my dad. I'm turning into my dad." Yeah. And what is important to me? And I, you know, on that, our daughter was born, and the first six months really were horrible. And for me, awesome you would think to be a new dad, but it was really horrible. And uh, I don't remember the first six months of of Alicia being born. And I'm sad to say it, but it is part of my story. And mm-hmm. Susan went to visit her mom and dad for a weekend. And honestly, I don't know if she was coming back or not. And and she she did. When she came back, I, I said, you know, I really have to stop drinking. And I had a one-on-one with God. So on my knees, weeping. Susan, bless her heart, poured all the alcohol out of the house. This was a mutual decision. A mutual decision, You were talking yeah. to God and she was pouring oh, out. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was wow. a mutual decision. That's and cool. Wow. We knew God was watching over us at this time, and we needed we needed Him in our lives more so than ever. I said with the Lord, the sto- my story is, 
talking with God and I say, you know, I, I want to be a good son. I want to you. I want to be, I want to be a good uh, father to my daughter. And I don't know how to do that. And I heard God tell me, you want to be a good son or a good father to your daughter? Be a good son to me. Mm. And this is what I want you to stop doing. And I heard it very, very clear. Wow. You stopped drinking. And I was like, are you serious, man? That means my business is going to dry up. Like mm. everything's going to go. I'm no gonna pun lose. intended. Yeah, no <laughs> pun intended. And I'm going to lose everything. And so God, I hear him. He's just trust me, my son. Be a good son wow. to me and I'll be a good father to you. Mm. And so that being said, I was fearful, but there were so many exciting things that happened. My business went through the roof. I was more disciplined and focused. And I came home at a reasonable hour. My, my, my clients and prospects all looked at as this guy is focused and he's not wanting to like waste time. It's we have an hour meeting and it's an hour meeting and that's it. Mm-hmm. And then my relationship with Susan got stronger mm-hmm. because I was able to share with her, um, I'm scared. I don't know what I'm doing as a dad. I don't know what I'm doing as a father, which I still don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) But I talked to her about it, and it just took our level of intimacy Mm. of a relationship of a husband and a wife to the next level. Mm. My friendships became really true friendships where it's like I'd share my struggles and people would share back and say, I'm going through something as well. And we would just talk Mm. into deeper things that Mm. really mattered. And my relationship with God got that much stronger because I was spending time intentionally in prayer with Him, reading and and seeking out true relationship with my Savior, Jesus Christ. And so that happened at year number nine, and just life got so, so much better. And it's not a matter of, of my life is great. By no means is it in any way, shape, or form. It's just a lot easier to manage now when I have a strong relationship with with Jesus Christ. And then on top of it, I move forward onto my journey coming, what that gave to me. And that gave me the ability to, as I fast forward a little bit, courage to stop what I was doing. And I, so I, 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 I heard God again, my kids were like four and six and, and saying, you know, we have everything we need but I want to build a stronger relationship with my girls because I felt like as a child, I did not have a relationship with my dad, my, mm-hmm. er- my earthly father. Mm-hmm. And I again turned to God and said, you know, how can I better my relationship with my kids? And, and, and God said, well, what do you need? And I was like, I need a relationship with, with my kids and a relationship with you. And he said, well, then you stop, stop working. And so I stopped. I sold my business. I talked to a dear friend actually here at Regent College and he was suggesting that I shouldn't quit because I'm a light to those in the financial world. And we just wrestled through that together. And then I, and then I did sell my practice. And I took almost seven years off from actual work. And I did a lot of nonprofit consulting here in town and or in the city of Vancouver. And I heard God clearly say to me, you're going to build a relationship not only with a stronger one as me as a believer with my heavenly father, but one with my with my children. And so I got to a point where I spent I was I was the dad, the stay-at-home dad. And I did like again, if Susan was beside me, she will have a different version of I my story is I did all the cooking and cleaning. That's <laughs> probably not completely accurate, most. but I'd like you did most of the cooking, cooking and cleaning. cleaning. There we <laughs> most go. Of it. We'll save you a little bit. Thank you. Yeah. 
And, you know, I was the one that took the kids to school. I was heavily involved in, in, in their lives, so much so that the superintendent or principal of the school had my number. And if anything was happening, they needed a volunteer. Like, she'd just call me and I'd be there. It was normal. And, and, and my kid's normal was much different than my normal. Yeah. Mm. And their normal was dad's at home all the time. That's cool. Right? We would have their friends come over and they'd be like, oh, what does your dad do? And they're like, well, he's, I don't know. <laughs> he's, he's dad. He's dad. <laughs> I was like, well, and, you know, the kids would say like, well, my dad is this and that. And they're like, well, you know, my dad's the one that takes me to soccer. We go skiing, we walk, we talk, we just mm. hang out with the, my dad. I guess he just is a hangout guy. And then we- <laughs> Hangout guy. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> and we would, that was their, that was their normal. And, and, you know, kids would be like, does, they'd come to dinner at the dinner table and it's a great time to be in fellowship. And, and mm. kids would be like, it's weird that your dad's around all the time. And my kids would be like, that's weird that your dad's not around. <laughs> like, just like, you know, and so we would have these talks and mm. it allowed me to build stronger relationships in those six, seven years and, and reach out to friends and make connections and, and then I again heard the Lord say to me, you know, what's what's next in your life? And I heard I heard God say, you know, you need to go to Regent and and study this new program, and and I did, and I I went and I and I applied, and and the same person that convinced tried to say keep working, help me help me with the with the application process, and you know I, I'm full of insecurities as well, so I was I was kind of shocked when I got accepted to this program. And, Which program? Uh, uh, the the, the, the Regent, Regent program, Regent program. <laughs> the ma- the Master of Arts in Leadership Theology and Society. That's the Regent College in Vancouver. Right? Yes, yeah. yes. I think we're at the over now of, of plus ten. Yeah, we, go. we made <laughs> it. We've reached it. It's a good we've, metric number. We've reached know. the quota. In um, in honor of Canadian brothers and sisters here, we have hit ten, which is a round number. Yeah, it just makes sense to build a system based on tens. Right? Yeah. Hey, I had no question for you. My daughters are six and three. I'm a I'm a great dad. <laughs> and I remember that when I had my daughter, I mean, both of them, when they were both born, it was an incredibly joyful moment. But at the same time, you know, you're processing your own experience with your parents. And you kind of alluded to it a little bit, but just that the fear, there was an anxiety there when your older daughter was born. Along with being grateful and along with celebrating that, there was also this burden that was on your shoulders. Can you just like kind of elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, the it was joyful, but there were however, there was more fear in it for me. I was fearful that I will not be around. I was fearful that that she would not who know who I am. She would not know my deep love for Jesus and my deep love for her. What she'll know me for is an absent father, one that is in that point when when she was born, one that is absent because of an addiction. Mm. And then the second part is moving forward on on touching on why I stopped working is an absent father who's a, who's a workaholic. I see. And so I was fearful that I will have zero relationship with my children. And the reason why I was down that fear, the the soundtrack that I was using is one that was normal to me, the one that I was accustomed to, where I had no relationship with my own father, my earthly father, for many, many reasons. And and I was going down that path. I could see it, but I didn't want to get off off that kind of runway. I, I, I was like, well, this is what I'm supposed to do. And, and because of what I'm supposed to do is going to cost me everything. And... It ultimately, 
it would cost me my relationship with Jesus Christ, mm. and, and it kind of falls from that. Mm. And I didn't want to lose that relationship, and I knew if I kind of like dug my feet in more in my own faith, if you will, the pieces will kind of follow through. Mm. And so listening to the Lord allowed me to get away and break away from my fears. Yeah, that's cool. And I wonder too, in the church as a pastor, you know, personally speaking, I'm not sure if we always recognize that or speak to that, right? Kind of that that vulnerability you're talking about that we don't often get to when when, when you show up to church on a Sunday. But a lot of, you know, we, we really celebrate family in the church, which is good. But I'm not sure if we always point to when you're a new parent, there's a lot that goes on in your heart. There's a lot that goes on in your mind, right? There's a lot of mm-hmm. concern and anxiety, and there's this new little person you're supposed to take care of and just get it right. And I think it can be a real challenge for a lot of parents. So I appreciate you sharing that. I wonder if there's a way that we can better support Mm. new parents, new families, that kind of thing. We'll be right back after this short break. Well, it's a good segue. So, JP, you are the president of Focus on the Family Canada. And that is a Christian organization that promotes Christian values. And and tell us a little bit about how you got into that and the things you've been learning on this journey of leadership in something that you've struggled with yourself. Yeah, I'm surprised that I am in the role that I am. But one that is not surprised is, is my Heavenly Father. He had a plan and knows exactly why I'm here in, the, in this role of President of Focus on the Family. Can you tell us a little bit about what it's about? So, yes, of course. Does that have anything to do with Regent College by any chance? It does no? not. Okay. No, no, it does not. It has nothing, <laughs> has nothing to do with Regent College. What Focus Canada is, is a ministry, family ministry that provides biblical teachings to families and to children and giving tools to help families navigate today's challenges in society. We have information on anxiety, depression, alcoholism, addiction, divorce, which is that are are abusive. You name it, we have it on the topic of of families. We have counseling. We have a 1-800 number that allows people to call in and ask for counseling where we give one counseling session and then we put them in touch with a counselor across our nation. Mm. We're a national ministry We have three retreat centers, one based in Calgary of 100 acres, which has a program called Hope Restored, where marriages that are struggling can come in and they can spend time a week away, or we even condense it down to even a weekend where where couples are coming in and one couple is already thrown in the towel, another one wants to come and restore their marriage. We have those with, with counselors on site. At the same locations, we have the Kareth retreats, it's called, where it focuses on pastors that are dealing with burnout, and they can come in for a week and get rest and restoration. We have three of those. So Calgary, Winnipeg, I have 100 acres as well. And just last week and on a March 1st of 2023, we'll be closing on a, on a, on a land that we purchased of a retreat center going to be called Kareth Waters. And that is on 96 acres just outside of the Toronto area, so an hour outside the Toronto airport. And that is in the most populated region of Canada, where the province of Ontario is just under 16 million. 
and the greater Toronto area is just under six million. So we're able to reach that much, that mm. many more marriages and people and connections. So it's mm. really, really all about restoring marriages. The people that go through these programs, 80% success rate in saving their marriage is mm. really phenomenal. Mm. That's cool. Mm. Did you did you know about this when you were going through your journey of, of reconciliation and restoration? No. So I did not know. <laughs> I knew about Focus Canada. The odd part of even the journey for me there is Susan's mom and dad are, are very, very big supporters of Focus Canada. We are a ministry that's actually, like I said, national, but we have offices across the world, the United States, Indonesia, Mongolia, South Africa, Australia, all over the place. Mongolia. Yes. It's really amazing how the reach we have, Costa Rica, Ecuador. And so I didn't know about it, but I I, I knew about it from Susan's mom and dad because we used to re- get articles of like, maybe you should try this, or get, and it was sent to us. And, and the journey for me getting there was, I was just finishing up at, at, at Regent, mentioning it again, but finishing up at Regent. And I am, the Christian world is quite small. So, so I was finishing and I want, part of my story is what's next. And as a person in addiction, suffers with addiction, is idle hands. So what's going to be next in my, in my story? I didn't know. And do I continue edu- my education? Do I, or do, I, do, I, do I start a nonprofit? Because a lot of us, we did a capstone project that allow us to do that. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not sure. But what I am sure of, if I do nothing, will give me kind of boredom. And then that could, could put me into a situation that I'm, compromises my lifestyle. And so I was kind of freaking out. And the phone rang from a Christian recruiter saying, you know, we, we know that you're about to finish Regent, and we know you've done work with nonprofits. Would you be interested in considering this position that's just opened up? And I, I pretty much said, I, I think you have the wrong telephone number. You know, <laughs> like, have you have you read or heard my testimony of, mm. of who I am? And and the image of Focus on the Family Canada is one that it's, it, it is the white picket fence in your family is perfect in every single way. And I was explaining this to the recruiter saying, that is not my story. And, and he was like, yes, that's something we're looking for. And so a lot of time went through. It was a six-month process. And, and they interviewed me. And at the close on how I came about taking the position was they interviewed Susan twice. And in the second interview, they asked her, what would be the most challenging things for your husband? And she said two. One of them would be, because it's a national ministry, the amount of my face being out there, which will be challenging, because I drop a can of beans in Safeway, and I let I, I use language that's inappropriate, and somebody turns around and says, aren't you the face of this ministry? Mm-hmm. Not different than any pastor. <laughs> right? The same as my kids going, you know, to a Christian school. And it's like now, not only does my kids go to a Christian school, Vancouver Christian, and my wife works there as well. And so they already had the pressures of, of, of the mom working, being a teacher there. Now, mm. all of a sudden, the dad's in ministry mm. at a Christian school. It's like the spotlight's going to be on them as well. So that was a bit of a challenge for 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 Susan. The second was the amount of travel where we are a ministry that is focused on families. And I will potentially, it was going to be away, and it is, about 20 weeks a year out, mm. away from home. Yeah. And that's a lot of time away from home. Mm. A lot es- of, especially for a hangout guy. Especially from a hangout dad. Yeah, yeah. hangout. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it was a big adjustment. And, and so 
they had the interview with Susan. And I drove out, met the the chairman of the board about three hours later, and and he said to me, you know, we heard, we listened to your wife, and we're gonna change the budget that she can come with you on any any member of your family can come with you on any trip that you you want to wow. go on. Mm. Wow, that's cool. It was really cool. Now, yeah. as as me for somebody like for me, I was like, okay, thanks, and I like uh, that's something like that's very grateful whatever kind of thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> blew it off. I literally yeah. blew it off. But I got home and I told Susan and Susan just started weeping. And she's wow. like, they heard and they listened and they want to be supportive to you. Mm-hmm. And then I picked up the phone and called the, the chairman back and said, you know, thanks for the offer. I, I, you know, I graciously accept this position. And and it's been a, a year and a half now and, and my family has come on some, some trips. Mm-hmm. And I've gone from the hangout dad to, you know, the the dad where the kids hear me speak at functions and I can see a sense of pride and joy mm-hmm. in their, in their, mm-hmm. in them. And, and that gives me a, a, a tremendous smile. We still, st- I still struggle with the amount of time being away from home. And that is one that I think just comes with the territory at this point. Yeah. Do you still have to limit the choice of words you use when you stub your toe or when you see a bad call on, you know, everything. Game you're watching. Yeah. So we're you a, bite your tongue a little bit. I bet my tongue a lot. We're big sports fans <laughs> at our house, but I, I've, I've bitten my tongue quite a few times <laughs> and uh, just being aware of, of my surroundings. What's your sport of choice? Soccer. Soccer. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And what's your what, team of choice? Yeah. National or yeah, both. so national team we do France. So we were kind of going for them to win. Was they cl- lost was to Ar- They lost to Argentina. France, you France. said. Okay. So how did you feel about that with your uh, yeah. background? Yeah, it was pretty like so. <laughs> it was a tough day watching them lose to Argentina. Yeah, it was a tough day. It, they played fantastic, unbelievable, three goals, unbelievably. Yeah, Messi played well. You did. They uh, both it, played well. It was it's like you couldn't ask for if you were a soccer fan, kind of on the fence after that day. When this now end up being a sports broadcast. That's all right. But the, if you're a soccer fan or weren't, you definitely are after watching yeah. that World Cup. It yeah. was fantastic. Those yeah. guys are teammates too. So, they play I on mean, Paris Saint Germain yeah, together. Yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah. That's how you say it, Paris Saint Germain. Yeah. Yeah. I never yes, knew because that, that until as today. He knows how. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. right. Yeah. 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 First language. First <laughs> I just language. call it. I call it PSG. PSG. Yeah, that's yes. it. That's about yeah. all I do. So, but we've also held our tongue watching the Seahawks play. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we've been especially to, last week. Oh, yeah, yeah, man. they lost yesterday. But we big, we're big Geno Smith fans. Yeah, so he's that's great. Pretty, pretty cool. We were big Russell Wilson fans as well. Just loved his uh, his faith, his yeah. walk with with Jesus. Yeah. Hey, yeah. so JP, tell us a little bit about what you're learning in this role. Besides, you kind of your personal, like your ministry, reaching out into the culture. You've shared a little bit about marriages being restored and that sort of thing. You're in a position to see sort of the challenges as well as the the successes or the wins. How would you characterize what's happening in culture and how focus and your leadership interacts with that? Yeah, my my style leadership is one to lead with my brokenness. My capstone project is, in fact, titled brokenness in the workplace, you know, and God definitely had a had that plan. I mean, I started working on that three years before Focus Canada even came to light. So obviously there's, you know, he has a divine plan for us all. Mm-hmm. What I see in our society in Canada is very, very challenging to be a family. There's so many things that make it challenging. You know, one, just the sacrament of marriage, 
so many young people when they get married are like, let's move in together first because it costs too much and what we love each other anyways, let's just get married. And so we're trying to lean into the importance of what um, court, courtship is like. And that's like a one-time thing you're going to get. And so why not do that well? Because you get married, it doesn't happen after that, right? Mm-hmm. Enjoy those moments. And teaching about the biblical truths of what it means to to live apart and then, and then and live together. At the same time of a society that is so like always wanting right away. Everything's got to be right away. Like immediate gratification. Immediate gratification. That is not what we, what marriage is about. Marriage is a long, long time. And immediate gratification, following that concept and that mind thing is move in together, then get married. Well, no, if you want to be married for a long period of time, all the stats show, I mean, there are obviously individuals that get married, moved in together, and it's very successful. But that the... the, the the odds are stacked against you when you do that. And so just looking at the biblical truth of what it means to be a part until that, that moment and that the, the covenant that God has given us, the sacred covenant of marriage and, and to honor that to its fullest and trying to talk into those challenges and, and, and really moving away from as evangelical Christians, it's difficult. It's difficult to be an evangelical Christian. That comes with a lot of weight in today's society. Mm. And it's no, a lot of times it's, you're an evangelical Christian, Christian, and people will say, oh, you are the guys that are against this or against that. Mm. And we're trying to move our ministry into, we're known for what we do well and what we, do, and, and what we give to the society. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times there's the hard conversations, you know, hard conversations of right now of, of gender and what that means and how to talk into it. Mm-hmm. And as a ministry, we want to be one that doesn't move away from what we believe in and Basically, we're not moving our line in the sand. So we're not affirming the topic of gender and what it means to be that. What we're doing, though, is giving the tools to parents and children on how to speak into those hard conversations. And I'll give an example. My daughter had a friend or has a friend who, who, and not to give any names away, and it's just a friend. So if Alicia's listening, it's not a boyfriend, it's a friend. And the friend has a sibling. And the friend is English. And so I, and it's a twin sibling who's a girl. And I said, well, how, how was your day with so-and-so? And she said, oh, yeah, I met this, I met the sibling. And I said, well, that's an interesting way of saying that. It's very British family. Like, mm. she goes, no, it's not British. What are you talking about? And I was like, I was confused. And then, and she said, the sibling is referred that way because the sibling is, doesn't identify with a gender. So that's why... So it's not someone. brother or it's sister. It's not brother or sister. Sure. It's a nun. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, sure. And so I was like, oh, kind of like, how do I speak into this? And so the ministry that I'm with, we give the tools on how to speak into those hard conversations with children mm-hmm. about what what gender is without turning them away from their faith and without mm-hmm. saying that they're right or we're right. We're not affirming it. We're giving the tools on how to build relationships with mm-hmm. families too many times you will have a family member that does not speak to another family member because of you name it. And we're trying to break down those walls mm-hmm. and being able to speak into it. Another really difficult one is the topic of abortion. And, you know, evangelical Christians are known for you're against abortion. Mm-hmm. And so, again, I'm not affirming my views on abor- abortion. 
what I'm saying is we feel and believe in a certain way. But at the same time with our counselors, what we do is we have these conversations with individuals that are going through probably, if they are even thinking about an abortion, probably the hardest decision they're ever going to make in their lives. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we want to provide tools of options mm-hmm. of keep the child, adopt the child, or abort the child. And whatever that individual decides, whatever they decide, we will support them in that decision in a Christ-like, loving way. Mm. And a lot of individuals might have this, oh, your ministry, once a decision's made that's against what you believe in, that's it, you're never going to support the person. That is not the case. We are there to journey with them. We're not affirming the decision, Mm. but we're there to show a Christ-like way. Mm. And too often, relationships with families can be destroyed without having a Christ-like approach. And as a parent, a parent where my wife, Susan, works at a Christian school, my kids go to a Christian school, and I work in a Christian ministry. It doesn't mean that my two daughters are not going to have challenges in their life. And if my 17 or 15 or whatever age they are, come to find one day are pregnant, outside of marriage, whatever it is, and they didn't come to talk to me and Susan about it, it's shame on me. I have not been a good father to them. We have not been good parents because Mm. we need to have a society and relationship with parents that is the sacred, most safe place for a child to be in. Mm. And so that if if that happened in our home, our children can come to us and say, this is what's going on without thinking of they're going to be punished, they're going to be shamed about, or shamed, be in a shamed situation, and that they're going to be shown love Mm -hmm. like Jesus would love them regardless of where they're going to go, and feel supported. And too many times, as Christians, we build these walls where we say, well, you've done something wrong against our our beliefs, and we're just not going to support you, and relationships just crumble, especially in families. And so we're trying to build those those tools to families that they're able to able to have those hard conversations with their children, with their friends, with their brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm wondering, you talked earlier about how you could recognize that your relationship with Jesus was something that was transcendent beyond what a certain pastor or priest or whoever would say to you. And it kind of sounds similar here that you're kind of talking about, hey, we're trying to bring this transcendent relationship, Jesus, with culture around us. We don't want to get in the way of Jesus equipping families, of Jesus meeting families where they're at. There's, instead of being a distraction or a wall for people being empowered to love their families better, to love each other better, by being restrictive or saying we're for this or against this or whatever, you're saying we want to point people to Jesus. Yeah, we want to point people to Jesus, and we want to, you know, also as a ministry, that's the first and foremost. I was just going to say, it seems like the ministry that you're doing is really trying to help people love God better, but also love each other better and build up families in ways that have lasting impact. And that sounds like you're engaging and trying to build up positive things as opposed to being known for what you're against. So at a personal level, how is God speaking to you today? And and where do you hear his voice? You know, right Right now, right now, I hear God just saying, "Be who you are. Be be truthful for who you are." Because, and I, and I say that, and and it might sound nonchalant. There was a time in my life where I cared 
deeply of how what people thought of me and i cared so much of what like the impression i was putting out there and i would just agonize like was i did i do it well and then i would drink over it and i would just get grumpy at that time my kids called me mr grumpy pants not mr hangout guy hey yeah i got a promotion so now i just hear god saying being be true to who you are be a good son to me and what that allows me to care like i care tremendously about what what we're doing here and talking mm-hmm. But I don't carry it. And there's a big difference there is I'm not going to go home and say to myself, you know, did I do this right? Did I do this wrong? I'm going to say to myself, I was truthful with who I am. Mm-hmm. And that allows me to, to, to sleep well at night. Because mm-hmm. if I cared, if I carry it, then it's going to bring me into a spiral down. Mm-hmm. The only one that carries anything, I believe, is our Savior, Jesus Christ. My role as a human and a follower of, of my Savior is to care deeply and build relationships and be passionate on what I do. And, and the work that I do with Focus Canada, I'm very passionate about. I care deeply about the ministry and the people that work there. But it's it's God's role, I believe, mm. that's going to carry those burdens. And, the, and He gets to do that. I, and I'm so grateful for that because, because in my faith journey, if I don't allow God to carry things... Why should I carry that burden? Like, that's why I believe in him. Mm. I believe in, in, in him so much so that I can pass it on to him and fully trust the Lord that he's got this, mm-hmm. right? And that, that's what I get from today. Yeah, I think we can all, we could all take that lesson to heart. Yeah. Yeah, thank you so much, JP, for being on our podcast and for representing your, your so well and just for sharing how to love our families better. You you didn't give us any direct advice, but definitely took a lot, a lot of pointers from our conversation. So thank yeah. you. Yeah. yeah, thanks. Thanks for listening to Creekside Conversations. We hope you've enjoyed listening to these as much as Tim and I enjoy producing them. We'd love your feedback and comments. Uh, so send them to Tim A, that's T-I-M-A, at ecreekside.com. And if you find these fruitful in your life, share them with those you love.